Talk three, the cloud of unknowing. Beat on that thick cloud of unknowing with a sharp dart of longing love. Chapter six from the cloud of unknowing. In my first talk, I gave a brief explanation of the phrase, the cloud of unknowing. Now let's explore these key words a little further. This is what our author says. Everyone who tries to be a contemplative experiences at first only a darkness and, as it were, a cloud of unknowing. And this cloud, he says, is felt as something between you and your God. What you must do then is to prepare to remain in this darkness as long as you can. If you are ever to feel or see him, so far as is possible in this life, it must always be in this cloud and this darkness. In other words, don't enter into contemplative prayer expecting immediate enlightenment or peace of heart. Do not expect anything. You're entering into a space in which all familiar landmarks have been obliterated, where all your previous knowledge is of no help to you. You're groping in the dark. It's like entering into a cave or a tunnel where there's no light of any kind. Everything that is known to you has been discarded, put on one side. You're entering into the cloud of unknowing, and this is where you will find God, or rather you'll experience God's loving presence. And what is God like? In chapter 6, the author of the cloud teases his readers with the same question. But now you ask me, how am I to think of God himself, and what is he? To this question he replies simply, I do not know. Does that mean that he was an agnostic in the modern sense, someone who is sceptical about God's existence? Not at all. He is absolutely clear that God has been revealed to us through creation and uniquely in the person of Jesus, who is both human and divine. What he means is this, and here I paraphrase, it is possible to have complete knowledge of God's creation and indeed to know all that God has done through the study of astronomy, physics, geology, biology, all the natural and human sciences and the history of the world and to think clearly and systematically about them. But the one thing we cannot do is to grasp or comprehend God. God is utterly beyond the range of all human thought. Theologians can work away, but after many years of struggle, they all have to admit that they can do little more than do some preliminary digging on the surface of things. This story is told of the great 5th century theologian, St. Augustine. While writing one of his great theological works, he had a dream. He saw a small boy on the seashore. The boy had a spade with which he was digging a hole in the sand. Carrying a small bucket, the boy kept going down to the sea, filling the bucket with water and returning to empty his bucket into the hole. In his dream, Augustine stopped the boy and asked, What are you doing? The boy replied, I'm emptying the sea into my hole. In his dream, Augustine laughed and said, Oh, you'll never do that. Your hole is too small and the sea is so vast. Whereupon the boy turned to an angel and said, nor will you ever fill your small brain with the vastness of God. 
J.B. Phillips, one of the first scholars to translate the New Testament into contemporary English, wrote a brilliant little book called Your God is Too Small. We too can laugh, but of course, let's face it, most of us grow up with some idea or image of what God is like. Sooner or later, we find that image is totally inadequate. We either give up our faith or we dig deeper. God is far, far greater and more mysterious than we thought. The important point to grasp is we cannot become united with God by thinking about God or thinking of God. We can be united with God only by accepting God's love and then responding it to it with love. As our author says, And so I wish to give up everything I can think and choose as my love the one thing I cannot think. For God can well be loved, but he cannot be thought. There are times, of course, as our author himself says, when it is very good to think about God's love or God's excellence or God's beauty. We do this when we reflect on, for example, the mystery of the Incarnation or when we hear a sermon, read a devotional book, or study the life of someone admirable, saintly, or heroic. In that sense, he says, this may be a light and even part of contemplation. But for actual time, practicing contemplative prayer, he says, we need to step above it stoutly but deftly, with a devout and delightful stirring of love, and struggle to pierce that darkness above you and beat on that thick cloud of unknowing the sharp dart of longing love, and do not give up whatever happens. That's in chapter 6. Beat on that thick cloud of unknowing the sharp dart of longing love. This is one of our author's most memorable sayings. It is one to ponder on deeply until it is ingrained into the fabric of our being. As I said before, our author has the wonderful gift of being able to use images from everyday life to illustrate his wisdom about the life of the Spirit. Contemplative prayer is not sitting in a passive stance until you hear a divine message, or until you see lights, or have visions, or experience speaking in tongues. It is found in giving God one's total attention. It is a positive action arising out of a deep and unremitting desire to be united to God, a desire to respond to God's unconditional love with an act of sincere and wholehearted love. It is a saying of a prayer phrase or mantra, a saying which involves no physical movement of the lips, not even a whisper, but which is done interiorly, silently, simply as a movement of the heart. No physical movement but a spiritual movement. So the body is to remain still, yet there must be an inner sense of alertness, a dynamic movement that takes one to the centre, the core of one's being. Beat on that thick cloud of unknowing with a sharp dart of longing love.